0: We had a very innovative business model where we invested in everything and then we would split savings with the client 50-50. All our competition at that time was just doing technical measures. You know, you come into the building, you see old lights, you say, oh, let's change that with LED." Everybody can do that. What we did, we had our own software. We developed AI, machine learning, neuro stuff. BI systems, for behavioral change, for... We were able to use a lot of the existing equipment and just upgrade it a little bit and then add the layer of our software on top of it for big data analysis and so on. And so we were almost double efficient than most of our competitions.
1: Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, interesting. Today when we were doing the interview with our guest, I actually had a real tough time just trying to cut it off and end it. I just wanted to keep going. The the story and the journey of our guest Miha was just fascinating. What would it mean to you or how would you respond? If one day you woke up and all of a sudden you were bankrupt and because this bankruptcy happened in Eastern Europe, you then had a $5 million tag or loan that would stick with you for the rest of your life, how would you respond to that? Well, Mia takes us through this whole journey of him growing a company and then what happened in the financial collapse of 2008, 2009 and just how he came out. On the other side he's now a coach and he helps others to embrace their the events that happened in their life including failure to be able to what he calls uh, fail forward and fail fast to be able to move forward to success so you'll uh, Anyways, I have a bias, I really love this interview, and hopefully you do as well. You know, we thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, just please pass it on, leave a positive comment somewhere. I do wanna encourage you that this show is sponsored by Consulting Resource Group. And our goal, and what we do here, is we help people to understand themselves, to develop themselves better, as well as just about any other company in the world. And so our commitment is really around you getting to know yourself. So one of the things we want to mention, and I've done in the last couple of shows, and that is our values, preference, indicator, assessment, and the e-course, what do you really value that goes with it? You know, it's been a breakthrough. Whenever I do conferences and I speak and do this workshop, it is transformational. I still remember a career developer, been in the business for 20 years, and at the end of it, she just came up and said, you know what, this was so powerful for me and that was just in a 90-minute session so we i take you through what i took this uh, audience through in our e-course step by step not only do you take the assessment but then you also i take you through the report and how you apply it and to be able to work on what do you really value in your life and also to take the steps action steps so you can go to the next level in your life so if you're interested take a peek take a look Leader.com, what do you really value, e-course or online courses. So here is today's show and thank you again for listening with Mia and talking with the fail coach. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keys. Well, we have a special guest who You know, because it's the online world, you have no idea where the guest is from. So I'm sitting in Vancouver, Canada, and we have our guest in Serbia, who's kind of hanging out there, Mia, who is known as, he calls himself the fail coach. And I'm not saying his last name on purpose because I can't actually even pronounce it. So Mia, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, Ken. It's a pleasure, huge pleasure to be your guest, and uh, yeah, Uh, it's Matlielski for anybody who wants to know my
1: surname. Okay, say that again, uh, just slowly for everybody. Matlielski. See, there you go, and we'll have it in the show notes if you want to know how that is spelled, (laughs) so uh, (laughs) thanks again, Mia, for, you know, staying up late tonight for when we're recording this. Nobody else knows that. Uh, So... When we think about failed coach, we'll get into all of that here in a bit. And we met, you know, online a few weeks ago. But before we get into that, I want to get a sense of sort of your history. And so, uh, you know, what part of the world did you grow up in? Oh, I grew up in Slovenia
0: and I lived in Slovenia most of my life. Uh, It was just three years ago that I moved to Serbia. And that was because of... uh, so I, I, I was lucky enough to achieve my freedom of choice, and uh, I chose maybe a bit different freedom that, than most entrepreneurs. Um, I, I went to Serbia because they have huge problems with animals, and I do a lot of animal rescue throughout the day.
1: Okay, so that's one of your sort of passions and hobbies is, is working with animals. It's
0: it's it's more like uh, all, uh, like a purpose. It's it's one of the two whys, the two purposes why I do everything that I do. And so there's let's, the deeper let's call it an meaning. an
1: obsession then.
0: <laughs> yes, there's a little bit deeper meaning because uh, as I was go picking myself from the hell that I went through in 2009 and 10, uh, I adopted a dog, and I, I I honestly I'm not sure if I would still be here if it wasn't for him. Um, And he's my guardian angel. And when I went through the whole thing, when I was able to pick myself up, um, I said, I have to give back.
1: Mm. Well, that's obvious. And, you know, we appreciate animals here at home. I actually grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, I get that. I can't say that I have, even though we have a cat in our house, which is technically my wife's. And I don't have a (laughs) love loss for uh, cats. I love dogs but I don't have a dog in a city uh, environment. We always have them on the farm, and they'd run around and be free. So with that, Mia, I want to kind of go back to your growing up years. What was life like, and what did your parents do? And sort of as a kid, what was that like for you? Oh,
0: boy, that that was like a dream. I mean, um, one day when I will write my book, finally, uh, the first chapter will be the not-so-perfect, perfect childhood. And and I'll get to the not perfect part later. But I, I, I was living a dream life, uh, anything that a child can want. We were living together with my maternal grandparents. Um, I was the only child. So four people who had nothing else to do in this world but to tell me how much they love me, do everything for me, buy me everything, um, never held me accountable. Um,
1: Well, there's there's an issue,
0: isn't there? Yeah, so, yeah, you see where I'm going? And, and, you know, everything would be perfect uh, if uh, when I was 23, my father wouldn't suddenly die, and a few months before that, both grandparents. So um, suddenly I woke up into the real world. And, you know, it's not nice when you wake up into the real world when you're 23 and you don't know, How the hell do I wake up to an alarm clock? How do I change a light bulb? I mean, I was at that level. I was as spoiled as it gets. Um, You know, I dropped out of high school when I was 17, just because, you know, like, why would I learn about history? What good will that do to me uh, in my life? You know, things Mm. like that. Not that I was stupid. I was just, you know, rebel without a cause like, like that, that's the perfect way of saying it. And, you know, I was constantly told that I'm this miracle child. I'm the smartest, the best, the prettiest, the whatever you can think of. And, you know, it gets into your head. And then when you wake up into the real world, it's very hard when you land on your ass and you figure out that hmm, maybe you aren't that special. Maybe you're just Mm -hmm. average.
1: Well, I think the word spoilt kind of depicts a bit of the character issues (laughs) rather than you are special, you're on my show, you have to be special. (laughs) That being said, uh, being quote unquote a spoilt brat or a spoilt individual, that's really the difference between uh, responsibility and not doing what you need to do. Now, what did your, you know, sorry to hear about your grandparents and your dad, but what did your dad do? What was his profession?
0: Um, So he had a small business, a family small business, like two employees. Uh, We uh, I mean, that that was the company I went to work for when I dropped out of high school with 18. Um, And we were just importing and wholesaling uh, medium and high voltage equipment for the distribution utilities. I know it sounds a bit complicated, but yeah, like, you know, transformers and those cables for power lines. Uh, But it wasn't anything big. Uh, It it was, you know, we were doing well, um, but that was it.
1: Mm. Well, my friend happens to be in that business, so I understand it a little bit. So, okay, so that's cool. Now your father passes away, you're 23, wake up call, what happens? well it all happened really suddenly so one day he was
0: diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and three weeks later he died Uh, uh, in between he was you know sedated and so on so there was no training no nothing the few years when I was working there I I never had to do much you know I mean he loved me so much it was more like oh just sit here you know it wasn't uh, uh, go through Facebook every day because Facebook didn't exist back then. But along the line of somebody just, you know, being on Facebook the whole day. And then once the job stops, uh, you go out and party. Um, so, hmm. yeah. And and then, I don't know, I, I thought, you know, well, I can handle this. How hard can it be? I, I, I didn't have any idea, you know, like, what goes into entrepreneurship. I was good at one thing. And and this was kind of like a natural thing for me. I was always really, really good for uh, creating relationships. And, you know, when you're dealing with... Um, the distribution utilities you have five utilities in slovenia so five purchasing departments five heads of purchasing and so you, you you constantly go through those five people and basically you create relationship and then that relationship translates into them ordering stuff from you so it wasn't like a really hard thing that i was doing as a sales and that was really something that i loved uh, very much but I had no other ideas. You know, how do you manage cash flow, finances, other finances, uh, managing the company, the employees? I had no clue what I'm doing. And, you know, instead of maybe finding a CEO or learning something, now, you know, here kicks in that perfect childhood, you know, being always told how amazing I am. Like, you know, I can handle that. Like,
1: mm-hmm. And I wasn't
0: handling it really well. But then, you know life sometimes uh um, gives you some luck on that journey you know like maybe life thought oh maybe that guy he learned the lesson let's help him a little bit and so two guys came on the journey they were in the finance um, industry they saw something in me and they said well you know what we'll put some money in we'll take over some shares um we'll take care of the business the the Uh, the CEO stuff and you know you go do your thing here's a credit card here's car keys mobile phone that's all you need go do your job Um, and uh, they took over the majority share so they took over 55% and uh, yeah I I went and I did and things really went well Um, we were doing 100 150% more month to month And very quickly, life became good again, life became easy again. And I was always the entrepreneurial type. I was always, you know, the dreamer and and seeing um, problems in the world that we can, uh, you know, save and and so on. And because they took over the majority share, I said, well, why will I bring this new project into that company? I'll just create companies on my own. I mean. I can do sales, I can do marketing, I'm that great person again, uh, without in between learning anything about managing a company. Uh, the thing was that that was around 2005, 2006. At that time, the economy was booming, it's very similar to what was happening now in 2018 and 19. You know, shares rising, real estate rising, people buying everything like crazy. Uh, it was a very booming macroeconomic situation. Of course, I thought it's me, not the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so with a little, with a good idea, a bit of marketing, good sales, you were able to grow to seven and even eight figures uh, without laying down, you know, solid foundations. Now, because you know, when you're building a house. You're not putting foundations uh, first for the good times, you're putting them in for when you have a lot of rain and wind and tornadoes and so on. That's when you need the foundations. And so fast forward 2008 and 2009. So the crisis, the financial crisis that hit U.S. in 2008 uh, didn't uh, uh, arrive to Europe uh, only in 2009 and we thought, you know, oh, that's in the U S that won't come here. Oh boy. are were we wrong? And, and, you know, when that happened, of course, my, my companies at that time, they, they didn't have the foundations. Um, and one of them was in real estate project. Um, I was co-signing everything personally, my other mm-hmm. companies were co-signing. Um, I mean, I'm just, you know, trying to a bit fast forward through this. And uh, yeah, one day, Monday, December 7th, 2009, I got a call in the morning from the bank. And now here in Europe, uh, banks have this financial instrument. When you take a huge loan, uh, you pre-approve them that they can go to all other bank accounts, yours and and other companies and all your assets. You pre-approve them so they don't have to go to the court or anything. So in that single day, they just went around and took all the money, all the assets from all my companies, from me. And bam, next day, um, I personally was owing over $5 million dollars personally. And again, due to certain laws um, on bankruptcy laws, because they're a bit stricter than I know stricter than in US, I'm not sure uh, how that is in Canada. Um, But if your company goes bankrupt, uh, and because everything happened again, so suddenly, um, I wasn't able to pay paychecks, I wasn't able to pay taxes, uh, you're not allowed to perform personal bankruptcy so the whole debt stayed with me
1: wow so uh, if, imagine listeners if you just woke up one morning and said oh by the way tomorrow you have five million dollars as a head tax on you and it's never going away yeah 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 it it, it definitely was like that i so mean now, I when didn't... did you when you had this trauma happen and you think about you know it's pretty significant and you know there are different laws in the, all the countries around the world and we've had you know different people from Australia to dubai, to to yourself being on the show. Um, how did you handle that trauma of that uh, day when you found that out? Well, I mean, of course I was shocked, and I was
0: I, I, I couldn't understand, even though you know they were telling me, you know uh, we made calculations. prices of real estate dropped so significantly that you will end up in a huge minus. And we just began uh, with the construction. So of course they were right. But I was like, you know, how can you do that? No, we'll make it happen. Things will change. And the bank was just, no, we are ending this agreement because, you know, it's better to cut our losses now than later. Once we invested so-and-so many tens of millions into this. And at the first thing, it wasn't like, oh, where am I now? Uh, I I actually made a list. I was convinced that I can pull this off. You know, I'll go through my other companies. I'll go to um, my buyers and so on and, you know, make deals and maybe they'll pay me something up front and then I'll put a little bit of that money everywhere and, you know, I'll make it happen. But the thing was that all that catastrophe, financial catastrophe happened so suddenly and it reflected on most of the country and you know uh i wasn't making anything happen so the real realization came only about two or three weeks later when you know i I went through the list i tried everything that i could think of and i wasn't able to do a single thing now that's when it really hit me and that's when it was really um a feeling of despair being Mm -hmm you know uh, not able to do anything Um, I mean you know even if bad things happen to me for example even now I can handle that you know as long as I can do something about it but at that time I felt I can't do anything Mm -hmm. about it and and then slowly you know the darkness starts creeping in depression anxiety stress all of that plus phone calls from people and companies who I personally owed money to became very aggressive. They were threatening me with not just lawsuits, but much other stuff. And of course, you know, now looking back, of course, nobody would actually really kill me. They were just, you know, you trying to use all the things that they came Mm -hmm. up with. Maybe they thought, you know, uh, maybe this guy has a bank account in Switzerland. And if we, press him hard enough, you know, he'll find the money or whatever. I mean, you know, and they were also um, needing oxygen because this was small businesses, uh, families and so on, you know, like all my uh, employees and and, and so on. So so the emotions, uh, because I never wanted to. And to do anything like that to them, you know, it wasn't like it was my intention. I really went with all my heart into all those projects. So that emotions, plus the threats, plus being so lost and so confused, I actually believed all the threats. And so this was just a permanent state of anxiety, depression, all of that. Like my head was. Uh, Walking mm. nuclear reactor, just waste, waiting to burst open. You know, it, it, and it was twenty-four-seven, and and that was what was killing me most as the time went on, because all I wanted was some peace and quiet, and I wasn't able to that peace and quiet. When I was home alone, it was unbearable. When I went out, I wasn't present. I, I was in my head, um, and it was this. Back and forth, and and I couldn't find any peace anywhere.
1: Because, so now you've you're you're going through this emotional toil, and I get that, I understand that. So then, in um, just the burden, the thought of all the people you owe, I think even from an integrity point of view, Mia, you don't want to let your friends, your employees down, and so there's this part of I don't want to call it um, it was sort of orchestrated shame on you. So with with that. Um, what next to kind of get out of this hole? What did you do? Well, I mean, this
0: lasted for quite a few weeks and months. And as the time went by, you know, it was more dark and darker and, and even darker. And every month you think, you know, this was the most terrible month that I ever had in my life. And then, bam, next month it surprises you with even more darkness. Um, so, you know, you start wondering, is it worth going on like this. And, and you start thinking, you know, you you, 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 can't, you don't even think that, oh, this will pass one day, you know, like the whole economic situation. I was convinced that this is it. The whole world has fallen apart. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we abused the system. And now this is it for the next 50, 100 years. So this is it, what my life will be until I die. And then you start questioning, you know, like, why, why would they even go on? And then, You know, you start Googling stupid things like suicide and how to do it and and so on. And then it was in the spring of 2010, uh, one evening, late in the evening, about 10, 11 p.m., um, that day I got the notice that uh, my last thing, my apartment, will be taken away uh, as well in a few days. And I was on the balcony alone. Oh yeah. I got divorced in that time. And and I lost a bunch of friends that I thought were my friends, but when they heard what happened to me, they never returned my calls and so on. So, you know, even that feeling that you are all alone in the whole world, I Mm -hmm. basically just had my mom and and that was it at that time. Um, And so I was sitting on the balcony um, and, and, Just like that, I I still don't know how the whole thing went, but I just climbed on the other side of the fence. I was holding myself with my left hand, and I was already inclined over the edge, you know, like, I don't know, 45 degrees. I was watching down. I can remember like it was yesterday, this part, watching down. And the thought that went through my head was, am I going to make this right or will I just end up on a wheelchair because I was on the fifth floor. You know, if you're on the 20th floor, you jump, you die, no brainer. Fifth floor, things can happen. Because for me, suicide wasn't to escape, you know, not paying people back or anything. It was to escape not having any peace and silence in my head. That noise drove me to that point. and And for me, suicide was, you jump, you die, it might hurt for a second, but then it's all peace and quiet. That that mm-hmm. was, you know, my idea. And then at that moment, as, as I said that to myself, it was almost like, I mean, the best way I know how to explain it, and, you know, uh, English is only my third language, so sometimes I struggle a little bit with the vocabulary as well, uh, but the best way I can explain it is almost like, you know, Miha split into two Miha's and one Miha started yelling at the other Miha. And I used a lot of juicy words and I'm not going to repeat that here on your podcast, uh, but you know, along the lines, you know, like, Oh, why did you go into that project? Why did you sign this? Why did you not go to the lawyer? Why, 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 you know, but the common word was you and you know, back to the perfect childhood. Um, whenever something good happened to me, I never appreciated it because it was just normal that good things happened to me because I'm this amazing Mika. Whenever something bad happened to me, I always found an excuse. My parents always found excuse. And then I just continued doing that. And you know, in, in the financial crisis, it was super easy to find blame outside Mm -hmm. of you, you know, the recession, the crisis, the government, the banks, so easy. And this was the first time ever for me, to actually take ownership. And, and and that's when the magic happened, was when I had the, uh, I literally had the aha moment. I was like, well, if I did all those stupid wrong things and I was still able to come to the world that I had and all of that, if I change things, at that time I didn't understand if I learned. It was just if I change my behavior, my habits and all of that. I can do better. I can do bigger. I can do it again. And that was that little ray of light that Mm -hmm. it was all I needed to start fighting again. And it was a fight. Um, I have to just point one thing out here because often when I don't do that, people think, Oh, you had the aha moment. And now it was, you know, roses and sugar candy and so on. No, it was three and a half more years of hell of Mm -hmm. every single day fighting with myself. Old Miha, new Miha, old habits, new habits, giving up, not giving up, this, that. I mean, it was, every day was living hell. But you know, the more I was fighting that, the stronger that new Miha became. I I did uh, so much of self-development
1: because you know, everything starts with you on the inside things Mm -hmm. don't just happen on
0: the outside
1: so you went on this journey of uh, self-awareness and and development where did you go to find some of those sources over that three-year period of time
0: everywhere i mean i compare that to you know late stage cancer patient where you know the the medical science gives up on you and then you just go and you try everything you try all mm-hmm. the Buddhist stuff that you can get your hands on things that i would never go to before zen temples breathing exercises meditating yoga reiki um, um you know uh people who look at your stars uh like anything i could go- get my hands on uh, self-development books uh anything i could find on that because you know back then that was 2010, 11, 12, Uh, Facebook wasn't what it is today, or was it even uh, uh, Facebook back then, I don't know. But you know, it wasn't like a bunch of groups for support for entrepreneurship, mentors everywhere, coaches, teachers, programs, nothing existed like that Mm -hmm. uh, back then, at least not online, and I was in Slovenia. I mean, the only way for me to get books, because Slovenia is just a, Two million people nobody translates em- anything into slovenian because it's just not worth it so uh, my my purchasing was from amazon us back then amazon wasn't even in, in in the european union so you had to order from us and it took four five six weeks for books to even arrive and so i was just hoarding everything i could finding people going mm-hmm. to the little events we had, like anything, I could get my hands on, uh, for personal development and for business development, because now this, I knew.
1: This, during this three years, me, I sort of interrupt. What were you yeah, doing sure. for work? Were you like, did you start another business, or what were you doing for this three years? You're working on yourself, but did you have a business? Were you an employee? What happened there? Um, neither.
0: Um, a friend of mine had a company. And he was kind of like, because I wasn't able to be, uh, you know, CEO, I wasn't able to be, because again, if you go into that bankruptcy for 10 years, you're not allowed to be CEO again, and owner and and things like that. And so I was kind of like, unofficially renting his company. And I was really just leveraging my network so not everybody you know gave up on me and when i started picking myself up again and the economy started being a little bit better i was able to reach out to people and some you know would say oh okay i'll buy this from you i'll buy that from you so but it was more or less week to week week to week it it wasn't anything where i would make you know any substantial amount of money it was more or less the minimum to get by the
1: month okay and what was uh, what kind of industry was that that you were renting your friend's company?
0: Oh, I mean his his company was uh, in consulting services for project management for uh, uh, automotive uh, producers. Uh, but you know, I was just doing my stuff, and and he would just issue invoices, and then you know pay me out a little bit of the profit. Some would stay for him because he was letting me do that. And I would just get, you know, uh, some cash out, which wasn't really super legal, but, you know, it was what it was. Fair enough.
1: Okay, so you come out on the other side. And now you are uh, a coach, a consultant. We were talking off air before we got on there that you were uh, virtually supporting companies in Europe around emotional intelligence. So now where does this transition go? You're with your friend what happened next after when you transitioned out of that? Well, I mean, the big thing,
0: really the biggest thing was in 2014. So I had a dream for many years. I mean, a dream, an idea that I saw that a lot of big companies are wasting so much electricity and gas. Um, and it was due to one of my companies before that went broke, uh, where we were doing some projects for for renewable energy and I saw how much of the energy gets wasted. So I always had this idea of energy efficiency and I was working for years, every night, every evening, all the spare time I had, I invested into developing this idea. But, you know, I couldn't get it up and running. Everything I tried, I came to new obstacle, new obstacle, new obstacle until In 2014, I finally, everything clicked into place. I found an investor who was willing to give me $3 million of seed funding uh, because there was a huge investment on our end. I got uh, through my network, through leveraging trust, Uh, I was able to find a client that was okay with us doing MVP there and so on. And and then because of all the lessons from the past, all the preparation, all the leverages that I was able to use, um, I was able to scale that company from zero to multiple eight figures in the first year, multiple nine next year, and then in the third year, uh, a competitor, which, uh, which is a Fortune 100 company from Europe, Um, um, and uh, they took us over, Um, it it, it was a technology takeover, so, uh, and yeah, I I had my exit, I was able to repay, by that time, almost seven million of those past debt, all of them, and I was uh, also able to walk away on day one uh, because I had all the systems, everything in place, and I wasn't necessary in the company. Uh, so that was my big, big, big comeback. Um, and it was when I exited. Uh, the first thing I did, I went on a long vacation. Um, I chose Lisbon, Portugal, because, you know, when when you have the freedom of choice, most people will say, well, what would you do then? Well, I'll be lying on some beach, drinking cocktails. Like what else am I going to do? But then after three days of partying and having fun I got so bored I took out my phone I I checked the meetup app and I just started going to meetups and you know when you come to a meetup they ask you who you are what's your story blah 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 you know and when I shared the failures the successes um, a lot of fellow entrepreneurs were starting to ask me for help consulting uh, advisory and so on And then a magical thing happened. The more I was helping them, I never meant to become a coach or anything, but it just felt so good. My heart was so warm. It's like, you know, a thousand times better when you help others than when you do something for yourself. And Mm -hmm. I I had everything I needed, you know? I mean, I didn't have to do anything. Uh, And I think, you know, for me, finding my purpose was when I was able to do... Whatever I wanted to do in the whole wide world, meaning even, you know, sleep on the couch 24-7 and watch reruns of Friends. And that's when I went for what I was, I guess, maybe meant to do from the start. I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, just the whole... <clears throat> dance between them, wanting more and more, and me giving them more and more, but in return feeling better and better and better, and more fulfilled and more happy. And I got hooked, like you know, like some people get hooked on cocaine. I got hooked on helping others, and and mm. I, I couldn't stop myself. You know, mm. even now, my current first lady. She's often like, why do you have to do all those, you know, podcasts and, 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 and coaching calls and brainstorming sessions and all that? And I say, like, I'm, I can't help myself when I when I see fellow entrepreneurs in need and, 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 and so on. I, I, I have to help. It, it's a disease. It's sickness. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than me. You know, when you just can't help yourself not to do that.
1: Well, I get it. Uh, Mia. I mean, if somebody phones me and says, "Listen, we'd like you to be on our podcast," and there is a fit, it's not even a question if I'm going to do it or not. It is just—it's easy peasy. It's you are energized by it, and that clearly yeah. is for you. Now, if you can believe it, believe it, Mia. We only actually have a few minutes left, and we've just actually gotten into your story. <laughs> your story, but I—I I appreciate. And one of the things I want to say to the listeners is uh, Mia, you've been open and authentic and real about all the stuff that you've been through and transparent, and so thank you for that. And I think that's encouraging to listeners that no matter what, you've just stuck through it and you stayed with it. Now, I do want to ask you one question before we kind of wrap up the show with some tidbits around your fail coach business that you're doing now. Sure. And that is, what was the technology uh, without breaking patent laws what was the technology that you came up with uh, came up with that was saving energy like in in, in a nutshell or a, a simple statement what was it yeah, were sure. teaching people what to do
0: Sure i mean we were actually doing it we had a very innovative business model where we invested in everything and then we would split savings with the client 50-50 and those were huge clients uh but the thing was that all our competition at that time was just doing technical measures you know you come into the building you see old lights you say oh let's change that with led everybody can do that uh but what we did we were we we had our own software we developed ai machine learning neuro stuff Uh, BI systems uh, for behavioral change for um, uh, so we were able to use a lot of the existing equipment and just upgrade it a little bit and then add the layer of our software on top of it for uh, big data analysis and so on Uh, and so we were almost double efficient than most of our competition. So if they can save you twenty, we can probably save you thirty-five to forty percent of uh, your elect- uh, electricity and gas. And we we made huge savings. Now our clients, they were they, they, their bills were in hundreds of millions per year just for the energy. Those were you know some of the Fortune five hundred companies and so on. Uh, so so uh, the thing was that we upgraded that whole thing from from just um, technical measures into a more sophisticated Mm -hmm. thing. And so most of our competition back then, they had the ROI on the investment of eight to nine years. So you have a building existing building, and you want to make it more efficient, you invest in it, and then you wait eight, nine, sometimes even 10 years for that investment to come back. And Now, if you're splitting 50-50, you would wait 20 years, you know? Uh, But we we were able to have break-even in three to four years, and that was huge because most of these contracts are 12 to 15 years. So we would break-even in third and fourth year, and then it's just for pure profit.
1: Mm, Cool. Well, thank you for that. So now in your business... And we'll allow ourselves just a couple of minutes to go over here, Mia. Sure. You call yourself the fail coach, though, you know, most people in this industry said, well, you don't really want to talk about failure. <laughs> but when, when you think about if you were to kind of encapsulate what you do, that might be different or just period what you do, what is the core message that you have to individuals that you are now working with as a coach?
0: I mean, I help them with a whole lot of things because you know after 23 years as an entrepreneur you can help companies with a lot of things but the two most core things and and the two biggest lessons of all my entrepreneurial journey were laying down solid foundations so that's that's something I'm super passionate about and then the second one is Embracing failure, falling in love with failure, failure is a good thing. Having healthy relationship with failure. Failure is the most amazing thing when you know how to handle that, when you use it in the right way. It can be your best, best buddy on the journey to success. I mean, you know, Ken, you've been in business for a long time, uh, just like mm-hmm. me. And and everybody in your listen, uh, from your listeners, who have been in business for some time, I mean, there's no way you can just succeed through everything. I mean, there's so much trial and error and testing and trying and failures and mishaps and this and that, and it's very important. Can you bounce back almost immediately and go at it again? Can you fail fast and fail forward? If you do that, you will reach success. So much sooner, but there is no entrepreneurial journey without those roadblocks and bumps and and testing and trying and failing. It it just doesn't exist.
1: Not Whoever unless wants... you were not unless you were a twenty-three-year-old with four people taking care of you. Oh, oh well, yeah,
0: man. I mean that's a whole different <laughs> thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was uh, messing with you, Mija, a little bit, but yeah, absolutely. Now before we uh, go, I want to make sure that people find out how to get a hold of you. So uh, how can, what's the best way to contact you?
0: I mean, one thing is they can just go to my website, fail.coach, but recently, um, because you know leverages are the most important part if you want to speed up the process. If you, want, if you need some oxygen money right now, uh, leverage of trust. You know It takes time to take new people through the no-like trust journey. If you need something fast, um, go where you already have trust. So I've created this whole training called the leverage of trust, which is really helping people. And especially in the online world, because you know, if we are a little bit older and we weren't born with iPhones in our lab, um, mm-hmm. the communication in the online world can be really scary. Um, so I'm helping people how to build trust, how to nurture trust, and then how to leverage trust in the good way so that they don't lose it because you can so easily lose trust. And once you lose it, I mean, you've invested all that resources into building it and nurturing it. If you lose mm-hmm. it, it's very hard to get it back. So they can just go to leverageoftrust.com and that will take them, uh, through the
1: journey. Perfect. Now you also have a podcast and where did they go to find out about it?
0: Um, brain by the fail coach from below zero to hero brain by the fail coach. Um, they can just type that. It's, it's on all uh, platforms, Apple, Google, uh, I don't know, switcher, stitcher, uh, all of those platforms. So, um, it, it's called brain dumb by the fail coach. I, I don't think anybody else calls himself fail coach. So, um, it shouldn't be too
1: hard to find it. For sure, Mia. So, Mia, uh, what would you like to leave as a final word to the listeners here at Secrets of Success? Um, Stay humble, be grateful, and make sure that
0: you fail fast and you fail forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Mia, thank you for taking the time and hanging out with us and sharing your story. It was uh, fascinating.
0: Well, thank you, Ken, for having me, uh, for allowing me to be your guest. And by the way, I can't wait for the tables to turn and you'll be guest on my LinkedIn live interviews. So uh, you know, I can't wait I look, to do I look, that. I
1: look forward to that and hanging out with somebody who speaks seven different languages,
0: and I barely <laughs>
1: one. So I'm just working on that. So uh, thanks, Mia. Well, uh, secrets Thank of you. success, listeners, uh, you've been listening to Mia. He likes to go by Fail Coach. But by his story, which really kept me captivated, he's been through a lot, and it also came out alive at the other end. So my encouragement is no matter what you've gone through, you can still succeed, Uh, find help, uh, people that you trust that really can encourage you, as Mia has, and now really he's serving others to go uh, and go to the next level. So thank you as always for listening. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes.